0: All right. We're in the book of Hosea. What a book. And as one of you, I won't say who, but outed yourself on, on social media this morning when I said we'd be talking about Hosea and Gomer and somebody put on my comment, I didn't know somebody named Gomer was in the Bible. You're supposed to be reading this. <laughs> She's there in chapter one. It shows, she shows up really quick. Yes, it's a she. Her name is Gomer. That tickles us but it was normal to them it was not an unusual name to them let's set the situation let's set the stage for one of my favorite stories in all of scripture the people had turned their backs on god that's a common among us and then god reached out to them and he tried various ways to reach out to them sounds familiar it should that's the story of the old testament the new testament and our lives God's not afraid to try something new, and he's going to try something new here. Here's a problem. In the minds of the people, there was no problem. The problem was the people didn't think there was a problem. They, they'd never had it so good. Things were very, very good. In fact, it used to be bad, they would say. In the bad old days of Jeroboam II, that was bad. Well, before Jeroboam II came, rather, those were the bad old days. Assyria and Syria had taken turns kicking Israel around just destroying everything that they but but now things were much better things were going quite well Jeroboam's dad Jehoash came along and did something Israel had never done before he beat Syria not once three times for the first time Israel had a bit of swagger then Jeroboam II comes along and he's able to restore the kingdom's borders back to where they were during David's time and Solomon's time. The land was now wealthy. They produced for the first time in generations more food than they could eat. They could export food. They could export goods. People were building proper, uh, houses and palaces and vacation homes everywhere a whole generation had grown up only knowing peace and prosperity. Things were looking good. People could go to work in the morning, do something worthwhile, come home to houses, have dinner with their kids, not being afraid that foreign raiders were going to run through the living room anytime soon. They felt secure. Why is it that wonderful, sweet conditions like that never make us run to God. Why is it that the more blessings we have, the less we remember the one who gave the blessings? What is there about us? Those of you that have gone to, let's say, Africa, I always know what you're going to mention when you come back. The first thing's not going to be the grinding poverty, the injustice, corruption, any of that. It's going to be The smiles, they had nothing, and they smiled. That's right, and we live in the richest nation in the history of the world, and we're also the most medicated nation when it comes to antidepressants. Why? Now, by the way, if you need antidepressants, take them. I'm not opposed to them. What I'm saying is, why aren't we happier? What's wrong with us that we're not happier? For some reason, the more blessings we get, the further away we go from God. Think about it this week. We're going to talk about this a bit around the Lord's Supper later to date. If you're wondering why I've not mentioned it already. The tragic slaughter of our brothers and sisters in Charleston. Horrid. Horrid beyond belief. And yet, we saw forgiveness in a Charleston courtroom. When the young man was brought in to um, answer and he admitted what he had done, the people, the relatives of the family, if you didn't see it, stood in court and through their tears forgave. Now, how do you do that a day or two after? The service was being televised today. I say was because it was beginning right as I needed to go to our meeting at 9 o'clock, and so I didn't get to watch it. I'll I'll get to watch it later. But they're worshiping in that building today. I want to ask a question. Do you think the worshipers feel closer to God today than they did the week before? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this is a good thing. There is nothing good about what happened. God didn't plan it. It wasn't part of his wonderful plan that people be shot down. What I'm saying is, It seems we only turn to God as like a fire extinguisher. It seems we turn to him when our blessings run out. God had reached out to Hosea and he said, Remind them that it was me who gave them all the nice stuff. They should pay attention to me. I gave them the nice stuff. Look at Hosea chapter 2 and verse 8. She, referring to Israel as his wayward lover, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for bail. I want you just to try to get this in your head. It would be like young men, if you're dating somebody, and by the way, I got to say this. They said, today's a great day, the kids go to camp. I know you cannot wait to go to camp. I didn't clap because I felt awkward going, the kids are leaving. It's Father's Day. I, uh, I guess that's a gift you're giving your dads. Uh, I, I don't really know. We love you. We want you to be safe. We want you to be happy. And, and this is a great time. And we're so glad that Lauren is here. And, and, and you've got you know, Lucas is here. You got a team to work with you. That's it's brilliant. It's good stuff. And yet, I want you to think, young men what if you were dating a girl and you were very smitten? I mean, you were absolutely smitten. I was gifted at being smitten. I went from zero to smitten, just like that. <laughs> and then normally she would smite me, so I was smitten in another sense. But, the, but let's say you bought her something, a, a bit of silver and gold. You don't have a lot of money. You did your best. You got, bought this for her. And they go, oh, that's you know, nice. And next thing you know, they gave it to another guy. How would that feel? God is trying to tell us that's how he feels all the time. Because he showers us with goodness and what do we do with it? We, we put it into use for the world, not for him. We don't acknowledge him. So remember Daniel 3 last week, we tend to bow before other gods when it wasn't them that gave us anything. John, uh, I'm sorry, God tried a standard issue prophet, Amos, who we'll get to in a couple of weeks, one of my favorites. I love Amos. People are wondering, how many favorites do you have? As many as I want. How many do you have? You miserable. Anyway, um, <laughs> Amos told them that they're chosen by God, but he doesn't have to keep them. That's a brilliant lesson. It really is. He could choose somebody else. If they had peace and prosperity, it was because God gave it to them. But now God had every right to withdraw his hand of protection. And if he did, the invaders would come through the living room again. The food would dry up again. Everything would go away. But they ignored Amos. Traditional preaching had not worked, so God tried something else. We know that. He's not shy trying something new. He tried Ezekiel, if you remember. He'll try all kinds of things. So now, realizing that God is not bound by our traditions, even though we say we got a lot of our traditions from him, he's not bound by them. He's about to do something which is going to scandalize a whole community and about every theologian who's ever lived. He's going to put one of his prophets through a horrible ordeal and work out a play in front of the people. Now that play is gonna cost Hosea everything. It's gonna cost Gomer quite a bit as well. We'll talk about that as we move through it. It's going to trouble people. It amazes me, even though scholars are almost unanimous in saying this is a real story, it's amazing to me the number that will still pop up every so often and say, we're pretty sure this is just an allegory. No, this is real. Hosea is a prophet, a preacher. Prophet doesn't mean tell in the future. That's very little piece of what some of them did. Prophecy means to speak aloud the things of God to the people. That's his job. He's the preacher. He's the minister. He's the senior pastor. And God says, I want you to marry that prostitute. Now... This is where some of the theologians also start saying, well, God would never have him marry an unclean woman. God's speaking of that. She would become what? No, stop it. Don't try to clean up the story because then we can't relate. Remember Paul said, we were sinners when God saved us. She's already a prostitute and God tells his preacher, I mean, come on, preachers' wives come in all kinds of flavors, but this is unique. How do you explain this to your family? How, what were not that they had it, but what would Thanksgiving be like? You know, hi, you've met my wife, who hasn't. Um, <laughs> if you're offended by that, I didn't write the story. The synagogue, the temple, who's going to listen to him? I don't think anybody is. So, this is however God wants you to see, this is what happens to me. This is what people don't listen to God either. You know why? Because of the way his bride behaves, the church. It's the same story. Well, we have an agreement to God to love him and no other. How are we doing? I'm saying we, I'm not saying you. I'm in the pile with you. How are we doing? Do we sometimes forget the one who loves us and surrounds us with presence? Do we sometimes forget how precious life is? I want you to think about this for a minute. For a long time, 10 years, I lived in Detroit, but I would drive down to Columbus, Ohio to teach at Ohio State a, a few times a year. I did special courses there. Now, if you've ever been up there, you know that there's nothing between Detroit and Columbus, Ohio. When the Ice Age came through, it shoved everything interesting into the Smoky Mountains. (laughs) It is flat, featureless. If your dog runs away three days later, you can still see him. It's boring. And then to make it even more fun, the state of Ohio, the, the... State flower of the state of Ohio is the orange construction cone. So everything, (laughs) everything is under construction and slow. Sometimes when I was done teaching my class and I knew I had the five-hour, supposedly, drive home, I'd be thinking, oh, that drive. And then it dawned on me. If I'm driving, and God whispered in my ear, when this drive is over, so are you. All of a sudden this would become the most precious thing in the world i love that orange cone that's my favorite no wait that one's my favorite i would i'd be looking at oh this is the most beautiful place in the world i'd be i'd be calling people crying and and then slowing down a bit saying could you pour some more petrol in while i'm driving extend this even a bit what happens we get so surrounded by our blessings that we forget the preciousness of what we've been given Dads know this. We hold our children's hands because one day there'll be a last time. That's why. That's why whenever I leave home, I kiss Cammie like I'm clearing the drains. Sorry. Because. Because <laughs> one of these days there's going to be a last time, and I don't want her to regret it. <laughs> it's going to be like, whew, that's over. I. We forget the... I'm sorry for the visual. Um, Wasn't in the notes, was it there, team? Israel had committed adultery against God, and God was brokenhearted enough to launch a story. A child is born. It might be Hosea's, but it might not be. God tells Hosea... It wasn't Hosea's idea. God tells Hosea to name the boy disaster Jezreel it would be like you naming it pearl harbor because it was after a battle where israelites were slaughtered he said name him that second kings chapter 9 is where the story comes from his name the name of the little boy was supposed to make people shrink away from him in shame and revulsion second a daughter and her name was unloved. How could you do that to a daughter? Literally, the word means no longer pursued by love. I've given up on you at birth. What in the world is going on? How can you explain this to the people on the street, to your family? You know, we named him after you, unloved. How do you do this? This is brutal. And yet, What they had done to God was just as shocking. They had given him the name unloved by the way they lived. They were giving God a name. They were treating God like a disaster. They were treating God like he wasn't loved. We must never believe, never think that believing the right things about God is more important than the way we live for God. We get so hung up on believing the right thing when God has called us into living the right way, which is a life of love. Attending church doesn't mean you're engaged with God. These were all church people that this book was going to. They were all faithful attendees. The synagogue was was full. Their version of the temple in Israel was full. So the second child gets a dark and terrible name, no longer to be pursued by love. One day, God's warning them, the knock at the door will stop. One day, God will go silent. And when you've driven God away, who is there to, who's there to protect you? And who could blame God for breaking off the pursuit? The third child comes along and named not mine, God says, sadly, you are no longer my people and I am no longer your God. Can you imagine the weight of that? Disowned, run off after other lovers. They forgot all the wonderful promises they'd made to him. And now the names of these three children reflect the future of the people of Israel. Violence would come, but God will not be there. They're abandoned. They are disaster, no longer pursued, not his. You cannot understand the prophetic passages in Hosea until you understand God's broken heart. If you're thinking, this is mean of God, you don't understand what it means to have a broken heart. How long has this been going on? Well, let's see. Since Adam and Eve, and even to today, it's brokenhearted. How long do you want the guy? I mean, there's, it's, sometimes girls will decide to play hard to get. The, the, the trick is not being too hard for the one you want to get you. You don't want the others to get you, but you understand what I mean. Guys can play hard to get too. I'm not trying to be sexist, that's just a gift. Um, the, the point I'm trying to make is. We're not playing hard to get even. We're just ignoring the, the, the text, the calls, the emails. We're ignoring the presence. We're ignoring his, his love. He is the jilted lover. I want you to think about I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for God, but frankly, I am often. I'll think about what God has to see and put up with, and I feel sorry for him. I wouldn't want his job. I just, I, I just wouldn't. Sometimes they have been advising him on how to do his job, and then I remember, I don't want that job. You and I need to remember he is the jilted lover, the rejected suitor, the one whose Valentine card was laughed at and dropped in the street. Yeah, he asked Hosea to do a terrible thing, but he'd gone through worse. Take a look at Hosea chapter 2, starting at verse 8. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the new grain the new wine and oil who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for bale Therefore I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it's ready I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body So now I'll expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers and no one will take her out of my hands I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me, she forgot declares the Lord. But then, amazingly, God says, I'm going to get her back. Look what he says. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. That's woo. I'll lead her into the wilderness, get her away from all the noise, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vengeance and make the valley of Achor It's a horrible place. A door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. Remember, they sang in that day. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. God doesn't want you to serve him as if he was throwing a whip at you. He wants you to realize he comes to you with open arms. I will remove the lips of Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. That means she won't remember the old boyfriends. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beast of the field, the birds in the sky, the creatures that move along the ground. He's going to make this a beautiful place for her. Bow and sword and battle, I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. And that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the olive oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. I'm going to make things so beautiful for you. I'm going to woo for you. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to prepare something beautiful for you. And then I'm going to call you to it. And when you come, no matter what you've done, no matter all the boyfriends that you've had before, no matter all the adulteries that you've committed before, you call out to me and I will respond. And I'll respond in love. I think you can feel sorry for God sometimes. Your heart can hurt for God sometimes. But whenever he responds like this, your jaw drops at the love of God. Just amazing. Absolutely amazing. And that's what makes God different from us. And that's why we love him. That's what he calls us to do, that same kind of behavior. Love that will not quit, will not be defeated, carries no grudge, and refuses to make, as Scripture says, a record of wrongs. Just won't do it. Think of them. Um, think of the Charleston courtroom with the forgiveness given through sobs. Forgiveness costs somebody, it always does. One person, at least in the group, is going to suffer to offer forgiveness. And God says, I'll do it. I'll be the one. I'll step up if you just come home. At this point, we return to Hosea's story, and we find that Gomer's gone. By the way, Hosea might have been a jerk. He might have been just really terrible to live with. He might have resented God telling him to marry her to the point where she had to go elsewhere to find love. I don't know. I don't want to assume she's the only bad person here. I got the feeling Hosea has got some blame in all of this. Regardless, she's gone and God tells Hosea, go find her. And when you do, do not command her. Do not order her. Invite her. To come home with love and woo her like you would to get a bride. He finds her on the slave block with a slave's price, a low price. She's been used and thrown away by so many people, there's not much of a value left for her. Hosea is to buy her, and God tells him how much to pay. And it's the price not for a slave but for a bride you don't treat her like she deserves you don't treat her the way that you normally would a person has done all this no no you treat her like she's wearing white and she's your bride you woo her back again You show her love, you show her forgiveness. I want the people of Israel to see this is an option for them. They could do this, they could get this from God. God always woos us, he never forces us. He always woos us. So he goes, he sees her, what a state she was in, but he pays the price for her and brings her home. And now he is to change the name of his children to reflect the new relationship. They are loved, they are his, they are victory. They are to to be named his and adopted as his, taken in as his to show the grace that has come to Israel. You know, I've heard this sermon preached a few times by people and normally they'll tell us to be Hosea, to be the forgiving one, but we're not Hosea in this story. We're Gomer in this story. We're the ones on the slave block. We're the ones that received the gifts from the hand of God and wasted them on false lovers. We threw them away to the winds. We sold ourselves for so little. We wanted love. We settled for sex. We wanted peace. We settled for stuff. We wanted joy. We settled for entertainment. Look what we did. We sold ourselves so cheaply. Now we're on the slave block and nobody is there to buy us. And then Jesus walks in he says, I'll take them. I'll take that one. And you know the people look around and say, do you know where she's been? Because they did that to Jesus, didn't they? They said, do you know who you're eating with? Do you know who you're talking to? That's a sinner. Do you remember when the woman who was an adulteress cried on the feet of Jesus and touched his feet? The men around the table fought in their head. The religious men, does he know what kind of woman that is? And Jesus offered her forgiveness in front of the religious people. See, I, By the way, sometimes we could be Hosea. Sometimes we could be so difficult to live with, so difficult to love, the people leave. But most of the time, we're Gomer. Son of God enters into the slave market, walks up to us. We don't want him to see us this way. We're, we're embarrassed by the state of ourselves, right? Of course we are. Sometimes we don't want the light on us. My wife is an interior designer, and she's very, very good at her job, and she comes home and tells me about it, and I don't know what she's saying because I, I can't see that stuff. But she does, and she's good at it. And one day, for some reason, she decided our bathroom needed more light. Lots more light. Now, I don't look in the mirror in the morning because I don't like starting the day screaming and crying and begging. But I found out she'd done this, the big old bar of Klieg lights, 1,500 watts or something. I don't know what it was, on a rheostat the size of a pie plate. And um, I'm exaggerating a little bit. No, I'm not. Um, so I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I'm an old guy, so went in, flicked the switch, didn't know that thing had been turned up to broil. And it was a little, like 15 semis just went, you know. And, and my first thought was, yes, Lord. Uh, and My second thought was, could you give me like five minutes to spruce up a bit? Then I realized what was going on. It gave me a tan, so that wasn't bad. But the point I'm trying to make is, we're standing in the slave market, and we, we really wish we had a chance to spruce up before Jesus saw us. But that did not matter to him. He knows us, and he loves us anyway. You could die for Jesus, couldn't you? If you understand what he's done for us, wouldn't you follow him anywhere? When you do whatever he wanted you to do? He takes us not as a slave, but as an honored, loved person. Just amazing. And then he pays for us a lot more than we're worth. People, you're saved. If you've been baptized into Christ, if you follow him, if you love Jesus, you're saved. Don't question it. He paid for you. He overpaid for you. He did. Uh, it's not an insult. He overpaid for me. He died for me. I'm not worth that. But he did it anyway. That's the story here. So our ordinance is a baptism. There's a baptistry back here behind the curtain. We go all the way, don't we? We immerse. Are you all in? Are you all the way in? Are you married? You better not have pictures of your old girlfriend or boyfriend on your phone or in your wallet. Be all in. That's what we want, right? That's what God wants too. And then we remember as we take the cup and the bread, he's all in too. And forgiveness always cost one person.